Welcome to the Renew Theology Podcast. I'm Emily. And I'm Bethany. We're two millennial women who enjoy discussing God's Word and how it applies to our lives. We believe in seeking to be rooted and established in the Word and allowing its truth to penetrate every area of our lives. Welcome, friends. We're happy you're joining us for another episode of the podcast this week. Today we're talking about something that's a little different than our usual topics of discussion, and that is history. So both Bethany and I really enjoy stepping back into meaningful moments in history, and we also like talking about people. So we decided to marry those two things and talk about Christian um, heroes of the faith, as it were, every now and then. So this is something that we're hoping to continue going forward. Um, It won't be super often, but we're hoping that every now and then we can talk about somebody who's made a large impact on the church. So today we're going to be talking about two brothers, John and Charles Wesley. I had heard of both of these men before, but I didn't realize they were related. I just assumed they were two dudes who had the same last name because, you know, that happens sometimes. Turns out they were related (laughs) Um, and they both contributed largely to the church in terms of teaching and music. So we're excited to tell you about them today. Today's going to be a shorter episode, but we hope you enjoy it. So the English evangelical clergyman, preacher, and writer John Wesley, who lived from 1703 to 1791, was the founder of Methodism. We actually talked about the founding of the Methodist Church and movement in our episode on church denominations, episode 32. John Wesley was one of England's greatest spiritual leaders, and he played a major role in the revival of religion in the 18th century English life. John's brother, Charles Wesley, is best known for his prolific hymn writing and for working with John as one of the founding fathers of the Methodist denomination. He wrote more than 6,000 hymns, and we still use several of these in our worship services today. Emily and I were reading over some of them, and we're like, oh, I know that one, I know that one, and we both started singing different ones at the same time. Did not sound so great, but I really like them. They're cool. So we're going to start by talking about the parents of John and Charles Wesley, because they're pretty interesting people. Um, So their parents were Samuel and Susanna Wesley, who came from a long line of ministers and preachers. Samuel himself was an Anglican minister or a minister in the Church of England, and Susanna was just 19 years old when she married him, although some sources say that this was considered old in that day. Teaching the Bible ran in the family, and they were strong believers. Together, the couple had 19 children in 19 years. Ouch. Yeah. With only 10 of the children surviving infancy. John was most likely the 15th of these children, born on June 17, 1703, and Charles was the 18th, born on December 18, 1707, so that would make John four years Charles's senior. So Susanna was a very strong Christian lady. Her husband traveled a lot as part of his ministry, and she managed their household really well. She used very strict discipline with her children and was extremely intentional with them. She made a point of spending an hour alone with each child every week. She educated her children as well, using a structured six-hour period of intense study every single day. She also wrote several commentaries on important Christian writings, such as the Apostles' Creed and the Ten Commandments, to use for her own homeschooling purposes. And many have been lost, but some of her writings are still available in the book Susanna Wesley, The Complete Writings by Charles Wallace. Today, it's difficult to fathom how a woman could successfully manage a household of 10 children and educate them all well. But she had some strategies to assist her with this. This is sort of a fun story. 
Apparently, when Susanna needed a moment to herself, she would sit down and cover her head with her apron, just flip it over her face. (laughs) This was a signal to her children that she was not to be talked to, and this gave her a moment of peace in the hectic household. I think this is so neat. Yeah, I love it. The Wesley family was not without its difficulties, however. Twice they lost their home to fire, and in one of these fires, John came very close to dying when he was just five years old. Later in their teenage lives, both John and Charles were distinguished students at the Westminster School and Oxford in England. In 1729, while at Oxford, the brothers founded the Holy Club as a study group. The goal of the group was to methodically work out their salvation together. It was here that the group was nicknamed Methodists, and the term was actually more derogatory and derisive than a compliment. They were known for taking communion frequently and fasting for two days a week. They were also dedicated to misministering to those in prison by means of works of service, such as teaching prisoners to read, paying off their debts, and helping them to find employment. The whole group was very intentional in trying to work out their faith, and they gained a lot of notoriety and, and fame in that academic ring. So John Wesley was ordained as a deacon in 1724, and he was ordained as a priest four years later in 1728. Charles Wesley was ordained as a deacon and priest in 1735. John and Charles traveled to Georgia around the same time, and during the Atlantic Passage, John noticed the way some Moravians, um, which were German Christians, on the ship handled the more dangerous moments. So there was one occasion where they thought the ship was going down, um, but John noticed that they did not seem to fear death. They had assurance of their salvation. He was intrigued by this because he did not consider himself saved at that point. He recognized the importance of his own conclusion, and when he arrived in Georgia, he spent his time evangelizing to the native people, unsuccessfully courting Sophia Hopke, and studying. Unfortunately, his evangelizing efforts were relatively unsuccessful. Although he had a deep, genuine desire to serve the natives, his pious clergyman attitude put off many of the people he was trying to minister to. In 1737, John fled Georgia due to some misunderstandings and persecution. And throughout this whole time in Georgia, he was still really searching for how to fully obtain salvation. When they returned to England, um, John Wesley wrote of this experience and he said, I went to America to convert the Indians, but oh, who shall convert me? He really looked at that two-year period as a failure on his part. He described this time as one of knowing that a deep trusting faith that deeply affects one's life existed, um, but that he didn't actually have it. He describes the sad irony of people expecting him um, to have a faith because he was a Wesley who came from a line of ministers, was ordained, was a mission missionary, and who founded a religious group dedicated to working out their faith and piety. He was deeply confused and saddened by this. At this point, both John and Charles were still trying to sort out their salvation on the basis of works. Back in London, John met with a man named Peter Bruller, who began to persuade him that salvation was by faith alone. Um, John also discovered Martin Luther's commentary in the book of Galatians, which emphasized justification by faith alone. 
Later, on May 24, 1738, while listening to Luther's commentary on the Book of Romans being read at a meeting that he was pretty much dragged to, John fully embraced the doctrine of salvation by faith alone. From this point forward, John made it his life's mission to proclaim, proclaim this message. Um, he describes it as a strange warming, um, and this, this assurance was a strange, warm, strange warming of his spirit and his heart. And it, he spoke of this like for the rest of his life. It was a very, very much a defining point for him. This actually came three days after his younger brother Charles had had a very similar experience where he fully accepted um, his salvation and was trusting in Jesus for his eternal life. Um, and he was really, really excited when his brother came home that night, like around 10 p.m. Just And they prayed and, and worshipped and sang a hymn. It was really a really special moment for the two that marked the rest of their life. John and Charles were deeply enthusiastic that all must truly be saved, which is natural and expected after having such a wonderful conversion experience themselves. Because of this, they were both banned from many pulpits. They adopted the Apostle Paul's missionary mindset that all the earth was their mission field. Meaning like not just the churches and like they adopted the practice of not of speaking in places other than a pulpit, which was pretty much not allowed by the Anglican Church at that time. Both John and Charles believed in Christian perfectionism. Um, so this is the belief that every believer should have the goal of not sinning after being saved, which we would agree with. But it also includes the idea that we ought to gradually get to a place of sinlessness and that this is actually obtainable in life. This, of course, is not biblical. While we should desire to live a sinless life, we know that we cannot be perfect on this side of heaven. Forgiveness of sins is an ongoing theme in the Christian's life. Neither man ever claimed to have attained this sinless perfection um, state, but this did become a defining teaching of the early Methodist movement. Um, although I will point out that not all Methodist churches believe this now. Um, a lot of them don't believe this. So from the beginning, John and Charles Wesley wanted to remain with the Church of England. They had never intended to make a new denomination. It wasn't until four years after John Wesley's death that the Methodists separated from the Anglican Church and became a new denomination. Through his earlier time, John Wesley worked extensively with George Whitfield, traveling all over England. In fact, in his lifetime, he traveled over 250,000 miles, a lot when you consider that this was before the Industrial Revolution, like no trains, guys. So they were pretty connected with George Whitfield, especially in terms of preaching together and preaching outside to large crowds, like 10 and 20,000 people, um, but they came into some difficulty when they disagreed when John and Charles felt that they should be preaching against Calvinism and predestination. John had actually written this big, long sermon that was def like against predestination and Calvinism, um, but he used a lot of the secular, like, human reasons and didn't use a lot of Bible verses to back up his point. So he sent it to George and George wrote back and he's like, you can't release this. Like, it's not biblical. Don't say it. George, of course, was um, more so sympathetic to the Calvinist predestination um, idea. However, as soon as George went on a boat over to the New World, um, John published it widely and it was not super well received. Um, so they actually were preaching against Calvinism and predestination because they had gotten into the habit of casting lots to determine the Lord's will. Um, so they would write down a bunch of 
action options on strips of paper, put them in a hat and then pick one out. Um, now it's possible that they got this from when the disciples cast lots to replace Judas as the 12th disciple. Um, but we're never commanded to do that in scripture as an accurate way of knowing the Lord's will. And it caused a lot of problems. Um, one of which John took this and decided not to pursue a woman that he really loved and did not marry her. Um, so it caused some issues, shall we say. John wrote, edited, and translated over 200 works of all different kinds and topics. John left a lasting impact on the Protestant church primarily by way of the Methodist denomination. He also influenced the church by introducing the methodical way of learning and studying the Bible. Um, And this really had started in their days in Oxford. Today, John is considered to be a spiritual father or influencer for over 30 different denominations, including the Pentecostal, Nazarene, Holiness, Renewal, and Charismatic groups. So we haven't spent much time talking about Charles up to this point. Um, While John was definitely the more front and center of the two brothers, Charles also contributed largely to the musical heritage of the church. As we mentioned, he was an ordained minister like his brother, but he spent his time hymn writing more than preaching. Um, they were they were pretty much a duo going around. So all these things when we talk, oh, John did this, John did that, Charles was with him. They were a pair. Charles Wesley wrote between six and 7,000 hymns during his life, many of which are still sung in churches across the world today. Some that you may recognize are, And Can It Be That I Should Gain?, Oh, four thousand tongues to sing. Christ the Lord is risen today. I know that my Redeemer lives. And then two Christmas ones. Come thou long expected Jesus and hark the herald angels sing. As one historian put it, the early Methodists were taught and led as much through Charles's hymns as through sermons and John Wesley's pamphlets. John died in 1791 and Charles died in 1788. So a bit of a shorter episode for you guys today. We hope that this gave you a bit of an insight into how people were working out their own faith and studying and learning and really seeing the spark of the Holy Spirit's conviction on their lives. It was really neat for us to do some research and realize that a lot of the stuff that we do today can actually be traced back to great men and women of history. Um, I love those songs by Charles Wesley. Like I can still, like I can sing a lot of them by heart. Um, actually quick side note. So my family has this travel CD that has a bunch of hymns on it. And ever since I can remember, like we would put this CD in every time we drove out of our driveway on a trip. And so we all know the songs and a lot of the ones that are written by Charles Wesley are on there. And so like, these are still connected to the fabric of our faith. One writer said that Charles Wesley put the entirety of the Christian's experience and the Bible into hymns. And with six to 7,000 of them, you can kind of see, like there's a lot of theology, solid theology and doctrine that are written out in there for us to sing and remind our own hearts of. So that is the end of our episode for today. We would love to hear what you thought about learning about John and Charles Wesley. And if you have any suggestions about which of these quote heroes of the faith we should do on our next episode, let us know. 
You can email us at renewtheology at gmail.com. You can get in contact with us on social media. Um, We're at the Renew Theology Podcast on both Facebook and Instagram. You can listen to these episodes on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or right off of our hosting website. And if you're on an Apple device, we would love it, love it, love it if you would go ahead and tap those stars to give us um, a rating. And if you're feeling extra loving, you can go ahead and give us a review. Um, That helps other people to find the podcast and it really encourages us as well. I think that's all for tonight. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.